But I want to begin by a testimony. My testimony. In the year or the years between late 84 to 1984 to 86, I have struggled in prayer. Have you ever struggled in prayer? And you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it was almost like Jacob wrestling with God in prayer. And it was at times a very painful struggle. My question of the Lord was very simple. <laughs> Do you really want me to birth this church, which is now we call the Church of the Apostles? I had so much personal doubt. I wasn't really sure whether I'm listening to God. Am I hearing His voice, or am I hearing my own voice? Because make no mistake about it, we often can hear our own voice and answer our own prayers. I'm aware of that. So that is why the struggle. Uh, am I listening to other voices? Some of you know, and certainly the Lord knows deep down, that I long to obey the Lord. So the issue was not an issue of obedience. It was an issue of discernment, discerning the voice of God. I've always believed that for the transmission of the whole truth, whole biblical truth, to the next generation, certainly at that time, at the time of my struggle, and even this day, for that to happen, there is or has to be three-legged stools in order to help in that, in that preparation of the next generation and that next link of the chain. First and foremost is the home. And secondly is the church. And then the school or education in general. At least that's what is on my heart at the time. In my case, I could discount education. I could discount school. <laughs> I knew that. But the home and the church have to be inexorably linked together to work together in order to establish and affirm and train the next generation in order for them to receive the whole truth. But what God did for me in this struggle at that time he used self-interest for me personally to get me off my blessed assurance and go ahead and do what he's been telling me to do for two years, where I struggle in prayer. Perhaps my wife was the only one really aware of the intensity of that time. And, and the way God got me off my duff to do what he wants me to do when I was really not sure if he was talking is, is, is basically a phone call that I received from a person who's now a member of this church. She called me at the church we used to attend. She was the Sunday school superintendent. So she called me on the phone, and she said, um, yesterday we had a meeting with the new Christian education director. He had met with the Sunday school teachers, children's Sunday school teachers, and 
he basically said, you guys are giving Jesus too much airtime. We need to have well-rounded children. Listen, I believed back in 86, as I believe exactly right now, as I'm standing in front of you today, that the church and the home are the two of the most important places for the next generation, not only to learn, but to practice biblical faith. Little did I know then that 35 years later, the anti-Christian forces that were just becoming to get into some churches at the time, these anti-Christian forces, anti-biblical forces that now have become so blatant, so bl- I, I, you, you would never have imagined back then. They'd be so blatant that they'd openly intimidate and harass and, yes, persecute Bible-believing Christian kids. So much so that by 2020, there are so many Christians who caved in to that pressure, caved in. And they just said, well, we've got to go with the flow. Beloved, I believe with all my heart, now is the time. This is the hour. And this is the place where we need to fight back with every spiritual power. You heard this carefully, please. Spiritual power, spiritual weapons to save, train, equip the next generation. We do not have an option. I know the calendar says I might not see what happens, but that's okay. At least I'm on passing on to you this burden. Let me give you a warning. I'm up front with you in this church. There's no fine prints. There's no uh, things that uh, under the table we don't. We, we, we spell out everything. And sometimes that offends people. Sometimes that um, uh, upsets some people. And I'm going to tell you, the series of messages is not going to be easy for some. It's not going to be a walk in the park for others. Um, it, it, it will create some resistance in some people, and some of you who are watching online or even here in this place. There will be some who be offended, but the Word of God offends those who reject it. It will cause some to even defect, but that's between you and God. It will anger some of you along the way, but my precious friends, please listen to my heart. God did not call us to be liked by the forces of evil. God did not call us to just be nice to the forces of evil. God called us to be salt. And listen to me, salt stings before it heals.
I'm not under any illusion that the forces of evil that have been working hard, strategizing hard to affect our next generation, systematically they've been at it for over 70 or 80 years. <laughs> Open your eyes. They're not going to be overcome overnight. I know that. I'm not under any illusion. But that's why in this team, the, the, the team that God blessed us with in this church, we are all hands on deck for the next 10 years to implement, obey, fulfill God's vision for this church. Listen to me. For years, and I have a book coming out in a few weeks' time, just going to spell it all out, but for years, Marxist ideologies in the West have targeted five different institutions. It's in the writing. I'm not making this stuff up. The highest among them in terms of priority was education, believing if we brainwash kids, uh, all the other four will follow suit, which is social, political, religious, and family. I'm using their language even. Marxists believe that the nuclear family breeds inequality in society. But for inequality, or as they call it, social justice to occur, the nuclear family of father, mother, and children has to be destroyed. For equality or social justice to become reality, the concept of individualized achievement must be replaced. Why do you think everybody gets a trophy for participation? That is not by accident. That is just that happened. It's been planned for a long time. And yesterday's brainwashed children are now the professors and the teachers. In fact, the Marxist manifesto spells it out, spells it out, that monogamous nuclear family succeeds only in capitalism, and capitalism makes people dependent on religion. Instead, they said social justice will make people dependent on the government. But ultimately, none of their goals can be accomplished without creating a crisis. And I'm just using their words. Creating a crisis. Even anarchy. If you read any of the writings of the militant secularists, people like Sam Harris, you'll find that in his book, for example, The End of Faith, he unapologetically, unapologetically wants our children to reject the biblical faith. And there is no greater expression, he said, of the rejection of biblical faith than the acceptance of homosexuality as the norm and transgender. They say it's a matter of fairness. You know what they don't tell you? Listen to me. What they don't tell you 
is that 41% of those who go through the surgery of transgender, they commit suicide. They don't tell you that. Because the culture of death is, is, is who they are. That is why millions of babies get aborted. Culture of death. But, beloved, God called us to implement, to encourage, to, to, to implement the, the culture of life. Question. Why am I so passionate about this? Because my believing friends, the Scripture tells us that our next generation is our greatest asset. Our next generation. is our most important investment. Why do you think, why else do you think, Professors Richard Dawkins and Professor Nicholas Humphrey wrote that society and not parents should indoctrinate children. Let me quote so that I am not doing them injustice, because even with those I disagree with, I never want to do injustice. So let me quote to you. We should no more allow parents to teach their children to believe, for example, in literal truth of the Bible, than we should allow parents to knock their children's teeth out or lock them in a dungeon. End of the quote. Enough of that. I want to go to the Word of God. <laughs> but at least I delivered my soul. So you understand why the series of messages and why all of the team working together day and night to ensure that our mission for the next decade is the transmitting of the whole truth to the next generation. Turn with me to Psalm 127, please, and keep it open in front of you because that is what I will be going through. Psalm 127, have it open in front of you. Because there in verse 3 of Psalm 127, it says, children are a heritage from the Lord. Heritage from whom? Not from society. Not from anybody else, but it is from the Lord. And you heard me say this, and I'll keep saying this, our children are not ours. They are the Lord's children. He entrusts them to us. Look with me again in this Psalm 127. I hope you all got it in front of you. He's basically telling us that the next generation is our most treasured possessions that God entrusted to us. And then he continues, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children of one's youth. 
Let me explain at the outset <laughs> that this psalm has a primary application and has a secondary application. The primary application of the psalm is for the family. The secondary application is for the church. And that is why in verse 1, this is where he starts, you see. He starts, verse 1, he begins by reminding us of the sovereignty of God. The God who has given us everything, the God who has given us our children, the God who is giving us the next generation. Uh, it is God and not Richard Dawkins who have given us the next generation. God is the one who can and must be trusted to uphold the next generation. But then the psalmist hastened to tell us our responsibility toward the next generation. Beloved, the one thing about the Word of God that makes it very, very clear that even our responsibility cannot, cannot, cannot be accomplished without God's power and God's strength working in us. Did you get that? Say amen. amen. I believe with all of my heart, from the first day the doors of this church opened, and those around know this, to this day where I'm standing right here, we believed with all of our hearts that children are God's greatest gift to the family. And to this church and to society in, at large. But, beloved, the one thing we better not do is squander His gift or give that gift to everything except the one most important thing of all, and that is for them to know and love God. That is to love and obey His Word, and that is to honor and revere His Word. I know and you know. There's so many parents who work so hard, they work so hard, they work so hard to provide for their children, and I thank God for that. But they leave out the most important and the most treasured responsibility. That is the responsibility of training them as warriors for God. That is consistently reminding them of their importance in the kingdom of God. That is, they're continuously drilling in their mind how mightily they can be used of God. And that is to demonstrate to them the greatest success in life is to be light for Jesus, wherever they may be, wherever they may be. What breaks my heart is that there are churches that are constantly planning and strategizing on how to entertain kids, how to let the kids have a good time. Now, listen, I'm not against good time, guys. Don't, I'm, I like a good time as good as anybody. <laughs> I'm not against a good time. Or how to be rounded kids, just like that pastor said back in 1986, you're giving Jesus too much airtime, he said. We need rounded kids. We're rounded kids. I remember saying, the moment I hung up that phone from that call, I said, not with my kids you're going to. And we walked out and never looked back. 
my plea for everyone today is not just for parents and grandparents. Listen to me. I believe with all my heart this vision is for everyone, whether you're married or single, whether you have children or you don't. Everyone must put their shoulder to the plow and become involved in passing the whole biblical truth to the next generation. If you're an older man, you need to pour yourself into a younger man. If you're an older woman, you need to pour yourself into some younger women. If you are a college student, you can get involved with elementary school students or high school students. That chain is endless. Can I get an amen? There will be some classes on Wednesday night for those who would rather learn more about how to engage culture. We blessed in this church to have several people who are Colson scholars. Uh, this is my dear old friend uh, Chuck Colson, who went to be with the Lord and, and, and the Colson Institute, and, and they, they train people to become Colson scholars, and, and they will be teaching some classes on Wednesday nights. Keep your eyes open. Please listen to me. Most often, the need is for someone just to listen and may give some wise advice. Other times, a more biblical instruction is needed. In any case, and in all cases, every one of us, every one of us, no one is exempted, can do something. Let's look back again at verse 2, Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house. Why do we build houses? For the family, right? Unless the Lord guards the city. Why do we have cities? So the families can live in them. Unless the Lord builds the house. Unless the Lord guards the city. It's all begin with focus on the Lord. Otherwise, we'll feel so overwhelmed like a mom that I talked to not long ago, so overwhelmed, I said, I want to give up. Please don't give up. Please don't give up. We're here to stand with you. The Lord gave us a precious gift, an invaluable gift of the next generation. What do you do with a gift? You lock it up in a safe? You put it on the table for display? No! You use the gift, you train the gift, you deploy the gift, you exercise the gift. And the first thing you do with a precious gift is to recognize its immense value. It's to feel a sense of responsibility toward the giver of the gift. It's to do anything possible to honor the giver of the gift is to invest everything, deploy, to deploy that gift. I cannot tell you without reliance on the giver of gift to build the next generation, to encourage the next generation, to instill a sense of responsibility for the future generation, to con- constantly remind the next generation that they are a gift from God, that they are a vital link in the chain, that they are the ones who will be responsible for the future generation, (laughs) and that they are to be an arrow 
An arrow. I'm going to come to that. You're going to know more about arrows than you really wanted to know. <laughs> I'm going to tell you more about arrows and why the Bible uses that imagery. Sadly, sadly, there are some who let the next generation be a dartboard constantly absorbing arrows from the enemy. A dartboard constantly, constantly, until finally it collapses. A dartboard <laughs> is a target, but instead God says we are to be a weapon. Verse 4, literally means, as an arrow in the hand of a mighty warrior. <laughs> See, in the ancient world, you have to understand this, an arrow is the most lethal weapon used in warfare. When it gets to the sword, where you're so close to the enemy, it's not as effective as before you ever see the enemy, the arrow comes. It was considered to be the most lethal weapon of all. And that is why the Bible describes Satan's attack on us as an, with arrows. He calls it fiery darts. You know, in Ephesians, it talks about the, 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 the armor of God, and, and it said the shield, basically what the shield, when you put the shield of faith, it, it, it makes those uh, 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 arrows fizzle out. Those fiery darts, they fizzle out. They get neutralized before they impact you. Please don't miss what I'm going to tell you. In the time of war, you are either an arrow or a target. If you are only passive, if you're only indifferent, if you're only in a defensive posture only, all the time, you will keep on absorbing the enemy's arrows. But that's not what we or those who are entrusted to us supposed to be. We are to go on the offensive. We are to learn how to aim our arrows. We're to learn how to invade the enemy's territories. Listen to me. I am not minimizing the defensive posture. It is important. But if you place yourself and those whom God entrusted you to go on the offensive, you will experience the unbelievable thrill of victory. And the psalmist does not say the next generations need to learn to be nice dartboard. No. Look at it with me. Arrows. And arrows require a whole lot of different thinking, a whole different strategy, a whole different mindset, a whole different posture. Above all, learn to place yourself in the hand of the greatest bow holder in the universe. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. Let me give you some training, some help regarding arrows, okay? First of all, the arrow is very quick. It really is fast. You put that arrow in the bow, and, you, and it can go long distance. 
It moves like with a lightning speed. An arrow is not often seen. Listen to me. Some of your greatest impact, please listen, some of your greatest impact, and we might not be able to see this until you get to heaven, your greatest impact is what you have done or will do without a lot of fanfare. Your greatest ministry in pouring in the lives of the next generation may not be visible, but remember this, in ancient times, an arrow had a long-range capability. See, all the rah-rah-rah noisy stuff, and even people like me and up in the front, that, 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 that's not the greatest impact. The greatest impact is what you do behind the scenes. And, and, and sadly, sometimes you don't see this until you get to heaven. See, in ancient times, the arrow has long-range capability, and it is feared most of all weapons. One of the greatest impact of those who will embrace their mission in life as we continue throughout this year uh, of passing the whole truth to the next generation. One of the greatest impacts is to know that your greatest impact is invisible to the public, but it is not invisible to God. Can I get an amen? He's watching that. He's blessing that. He's anointing that. Isaiah 49.2 tells us basically the same thing. See, throughout the Scripture, it's the same concept. He speaks about the power of the Word, the power of the Word of life to the next generation. He said the Word will be like arrow because of the Holy Spirit's power in it. Listen to what the Word of God said. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand he hides me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. In Jeremiah 51, 11, same thing. He said very, something very similar. He said, sharpen the arrows. Beloved, this is the time. Sharpen the arrows. Take up the shields for defensive purposes. Why do you sharpen the arrow? For God's glory and for our blessing. There's something else I need to tell you about arrows before I finish. Arrows used to carry messages. Sometimes you put a message in it and with the sharpness of it, and send it to the enemy, and the enemy would read it. But also, other times, an arrow used as a sign, as a sign. Uh, if you remember in uh, 1 Samuel 20, 21, you know, David and Jonathan were dear friends, were close friends, and David is on the run from this demon-possessed king Saul. And Jonathan said to him, he said, if the arrow goes to this side, it means that, and if it goes to this side, it means the other thing. It's a sign. His arrow served as a message. To be sure, an arrow can be used for good or can be used for evil. Satan uses arrows as well, as I already showed you. But 
when we bathe our training of the next generation in prayer, the next generation will become arrows in the greatest hand of all. Don't miss what I'm going to tell you. Listen to me. The anti-God forces, the anti-biblical forces, the anti-family forces, they are organizing, they are scheming, they are planning their arrows to be used for evil against the next generation. And that is why you and I have no option but to train the next generation. We need to train them not just to wear the shield of faith in order to neutralize the fiery darts of Satan, but we need to train them to be arrows themselves. Train them to be alert, not to be deceived. My goodness, the deception that we're seeing in our culture today, the smooth talking, the double talk, the deceitful slogans, that they sound so good, but they have poison in them. We need to equip them to be sharp arrows in the hand of the holy mighty God. We need to train them not to fear intimidation, manipulations, and wanting to be accepted at any cost. Above all, we need to train them how to pray and live and walk with the Lord. But listen, this cannot be done just by speaking, by words. It has to be modeled. Most often it is more caught than taught. Teaching is important. It cannot say, look, do what I say, don't do what I do. They're watching what we do. Over 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago, I was meeting with a young man who grew up in a Christian home. And he looked me in the eye as if he didn't want to miss what, I'm, what I was telling me. He said, the reason I no longer believe is because my parents projected an image in public and a different image altogether in private. Now, I don't mind telling you the reason I remember it like yesterday because I still had young children at home, and it shook me to my core. And that is why the psalmist said, unless, unless, say it with me. Unless. Say it again. Unless. unless God's Word is at the center of life. God's Word is at the center of the family. God's Word at the center of the church. God's Word at the center of community. We can spend trillions of dollars on education, but we will end up with a collapsed society. I think it was Albert Schweitzer. I'm not sure, but I think it was him who said, example is not the main thing in influence. It's the only thing. Let me conclude by telling you a story. It's another story about Dr. Livingston. Those of you who were here last message, if you weren't here, you can download it. I concluded by 
explaining how at a very old age he's decided because he trusted in the promise of God, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, to return to Africa. I told you that story. Today I'm going to tell you another story. And I read his biography many years ago. It impacted me so greatly. So is all the biographies of the great men of women of God. The year was 1871. Just remember that. And that year there was a man by the name of Henry M. Stanley. He was a reporter with what was then, doesn't exist anymore, the New York Herald newspapers. The New York Herald newspapers wanted to send Stanley, the reporter, to Africa. Henry M. Stanley was assigned to go to Africa to report on the missing missionary statesman, Dr. Livingston. You see, in 1865, remember this is 1871, 1865, from that time on, from 1865 to 1870 or 71, nobody heard from Dr. Livingston in Africa, and so many people thought he was dead. Five years, I haven't heard a thing from him. Remember, he was the first white man to go into the interior of Africa uh, and see Victoria Falls, first one. After his wife's death, Dr. Livingston just threw himself totally in his mission and his work and his discipling and his serving in Africa, and nobody heard from him. At that point, when he was not heard from for five years, as I said, 1871, Stanley finally went to find him, and he traveled in Africa. He caught up with him, this man of God, on the shores of Lake Tanganyika, which now is Tanzania. For over a year, Henry Stanley shadowed Dr. Livingston for a full year, morning, night, evening, every minute of every day. He shadowed him. He followed him everywhere he went. Among other things, he was there really to try to persuade Dr. Livingston to return back to England. But after spending considerable time with Dr. Livingston, Stanley wrote the following words, and I'm going to read them so I don't misquote him. Remember, he's writing in the 1800s. Here's what he said after a year of shadowing this man of God. He said, Had my soul been of brass, and my heart is of tin, the powers of my head surely compelled me to recognize with due honor the spirit of godliness which manifested itself in him, talking about Dr. Livingston. Had there been anything of the Pharisee or the hypocrite in him, or, the, or had I but traced a grain of meanness or guile in him, I, have, I would have turned away a skeptic. But 
my everyday study of Him during health or sickness deepened my reverence and increased my esteem. He was, in short, consistently noble, upright, pious, all the days of my companionship of Him. Now, my beloved, my beloved friends, if we are to pray and guide and train the next generation, we will be doing great exploits for God. And if we're going to do great exploits for God in the lives of the next generation, we better learn how to model Christ to the next generation. We had better set our lives as role models so that they can see, not just here, how to do great things for God. I know some of you, and I know you live this. I know. But I believe with all my heart, if we as a church do this, we can turn the world upside down. You say, it's impossible? That's what they said about 12 fishermen. Not very highly educated. They turned the world upside down by modeling Christ. Will you pray with me? As a person who's only conscious of his own failure, past failures, as a person who is only conscious of his own frailty and weakness, I approach a holy God with you, not only confessing our inadequacies, but with boldness claim his strength. He promised it. Our precious Heavenly Father, we so thankful that you are a gracious God, you're a loving God, and you're so rich in mercy, and you're constantly, constantly willing to open a new chapter and turn a new leaf. And as we come to you in the beginning of this new year, as a body of believers, of this vine that you have planted 34-plus years ago. I pray in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus that you strengthen us. Without you giving us the vision, 
we can listen and then say ho-hum and forget all about it. But Father, you, the one who will open our eyes and give us your vision, we know that the time is urgent and the hour is short. So I pray in the name of Jesus on behalf of every, every brother and sister in Christ right now, open our eyes, equip us, motivate us so that we would be your arrows and train the next generation to be arrows. For I pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. As we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord.